Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Lawn Order Marathon winner is Brianne Murray from Austin, Texas. Brianne will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawnorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Kelly Jones, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it, Lawn Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership Law and Order, Season 5, Episode 15, Seed. Dr. Delbert stopped testing the sperm for the HIV virus. I was lucky the donor was healthy. In this day and age, how could you be sure of anyone? This son of a bitch is using his own sperm. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, which, by the way, the initials do spell out, you come too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Ew, ew, ew. And hello, Kevin. And we are talking about an episode called Seed, so that was not an entirely inappropriate joke. No, no, it is not. Rounding out our panel is our special returning guest. Yay! From the Orgasm Podcast and How Story Works Conversations, mm. it's Dr. Kelly Jones. Hello, Kelly! Hi! Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me back. Oh. Yeah. You're one of my favorites, Kelly. Oh, same. Yeah, last time we had you on the episode Stiff, which was about a doctor who liked to have necrophiliatic sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll get into this one about a doctor who's uh, very generous with his uh, clam sauce. Ew. Um, I guess, Kelly, just Law & Order thinks every doctor is horrible. That that was my sense, Kevin. And, and I was like, huh, okay, so we go from necrophilia to... I don't know the word for abuse of sperm in great quantities, and I don't want to know that word. <laughs> and, and, and like misogyny and homophobia, and then like the dude just walking free at the end. And I was like, Kevin, have I done something to make you mad? Like, mm. is there? I was like, thanks, good times. This is this is awesome. <laughs> you haven't had it worse than your a podcast partner, Lonnie Diane Rich, who True. always seems to get. Something bad. Now, you guys have just launched a new podcast, which is based on the popular podcast, How Story Works. It's How mm-hmm. Story Works Conversations. Yes. And I listened to the first episode. I think it's great. And one of the things you started breaking down sort of like, you know, your terms. I think it was the process is define your goddamn terms. Correct. And one of the things you guys said about story 
is that one of the components is magic. Mm -hmm. Well, what did you mean by that? Well, we're really looking at it from the writer's perspective, and your magic is what makes your work uniquely yours. So your voice, your perspective, you know, almost every story has probably been told in some form or fashion, uh, maybe with the exception of some of these Law & Order episodes. But the way (laughs) that you tell that, what you bring to that, you know, your own unique style, your own unique voice is really your magic. And and part of that is your process and figuring out how that works for you. Um, but then just the, the power of stories in general and what they mean for us as, as people and what they mean for us as a culture. I mean, it, it really is a very special kind of magic. So do you have any advice for Dick Wolf in that regard? <laughs> Now let's look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order Season 5, Episode 15, Seed. Well, Mrs. Parker really had it coming. She shows up at her husband's <laughs> office at the bank, yelling that she left him and killed their baby, and when she pulls a gun, that's when the security guard shoots her dead. Well, Logan and Briscoe say it's a clean shooting, and so ends another three-minute episode of Law & Order. Smart Money says it was justified. The DA okay with that? Pretty hard to argue with 30 eyewitnesses. This lady goes into a bank, waves a 38 around, actually took a shot at the husband. He all right? Yeah, he's a little shook up, but uh, he'll get over it when he realizes how much money he's saving on attorney's fees. He was divorcing her. <laughs> but wait! Van Buren wants to know why she claimed Mr. Parker killed her baby. The husband said he had moved out after her miscarriage, and arrogant-as-fuck fertility doctor mm. Jordan Dilbert says... She was pretty crazy to begin with, but surprise, the M.E. says she was never pregnant to begin with. (gasps) The detectives think Dr. Dobert is scamming patients. Kincaid twists a judge arm to get a limited subpoena for Dobert's patients who had miscarried. They were also given doses of the HCG hormone. Some conceived, some didn't, some used in vitro or artificial insemination, but a closer look at the files reveals 42 of the women all had children by the same anonymous sperm donor. No. Well, Mrs. Parker is really upset and not afraid to make a scene. <laughs> Please, calm down. I don't need to get in the middle of this. He killed my baby and he's taking a hike. That's a hell of a boss you've got. Please, lower your voice. I want to scream. I will scream. I want the world to know all about my darling husband. Because he's about to take a hike. I mean, it's like the 1920s in this uh, dialogue writer's room, right? Like, he killed my baby and he's about to take a hike. I love it. (laughs) I love everything about it. Even though for like a hot second, I thought that was Blythe Danner doing Uh those lines. And I was like, how would they get this fancy ass actress to read these stupid lines? But yeah, it was a pretty dramatic scene. And I would have shot her just to shut her the fuck up. <laughs> really. I'm walking in a bank. I'm going to bring a gun and start yelling. Mm. I mean, she had it coming. I don't want to blame the victim. Right. The fake fictional victim. Yes. From 25 years ago. But well, she was hormonal. You she know. was hormonal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're over emotional and hormonal and crazy. I mean, you know, really, Kevin, you just can't trust women in banks with guns. It's just bad. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, talk about equality. You can't trust men in banks with guns either. True. True. <laughs> I look at the security guard. Actually, he no. eventually shot somebody. I felt super bad for that guy. I'm not going to lie. True. I mean, she did look like she was about, I mean, she shot the window. I mean, she did fire yeah. the gun. And he was standing, I mean, it looked like he was standing like a foot behind her and he just... 
shot her. And then he had this look of horror on his face. And I was like, dude, just shot her right in the back. Like, that was yeah. kind of cold. Yeah. At that range, it should have been way messier. I mean, you also think, too, like, at that range... The leg, perhaps, or the arm, <laughs> also right. would have worked. The gun hand, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? He's Wyatt Earp. <laughs> Two of you women. Yeah, just, just winger. Come on. Now, by the way, the fuck Van Buren. The crazy lady was yelling, "You killed my baby." So find out why she said that. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. police never do? They say, huh, he said he didn't do it. Find out why he said that. <laughs> I, I think they just took the dude's word for it. Like it was, you know, it was just super convenient and they're trying to speed up the process and he's like, hey, she was crazy. And they're like, all right, cool. And that was kind of the end of the episode. Well, they also had the, you know, very trustworthy testimony of the super sassy secretary. Yes. <laughs> who felt like she was going to wet her pants <laughs> when Mrs. Parker came into the bank with that gun. I thought they had a good marriage. I was a little jealous. I guess she wasn't trying to scare him. She was out of her skull, you know what I mean? Screaming like a maniac. Was she screaming anything specific? Something about Mr. Parker killing her baby. I didn't even know they had a baby. I thought I'd wet my pants. I loved that super sassy high top fade secretary. She was my favorite character in the whole show. She was my favorite character and my favorite hairstyle. That hair was amazing. Yeah. She looked like an eraser head. She looked like Kid from Kid and Play. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it just made me miss the 90s. So many things do not hold up in this episode. So many. That's the least among them. Let's be real. But really, I mean, Van Buren, it's like if they said, oh, the government's playing with my head and going to kidnap me. Van Buren shouldn't be saying, well, find out why you said that. Because he was crazy. <laughs> I think she's just had it with Logan and Briscoe, and she wanted to give them some busy work. <laughs> Little did she know. Little did she know. Well, I do like the part where the medical examiner demonstrates <laughs> how the woman could have received bruises on her wrists by just suddenly attacking Logan. Let me show you. I'm Mrs. Parker. I go at you. So you grasp my wrist tight and hold them away from you. Now, I'm struggling. I want to scratch your eyes out. But you push me away, and I lend to my butt, banging my elbows on the floor. The deceased had hematomas on her wrist, right where you grabbed me. Her left elbow and buttock revealed contusions, probably from falling on the floor. It was incredible. It's like one of those surprise trust falls. Ah! It was really a very effective... It was actually, I think, one of the most tightly written medical examiner scenes I've ever seen in this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, After her first scene, where she's a super dick to them, which I love, she's like, guys, I have to go to court. Just leave me alone. And then they go back, and with the same efficiency in like... 30 seconds she shows them exactly how someone would sustain these exact injuries as a viewer i was like that is a well-written scene i wish more of the scenes in this show had been written in this manner what you you couldn't see in that clip was that she just turned and just with both hands reached out towards (laughs) logan and he immediately just reflexively put his hands up and it was it was just really fast but you're right i thought it was very effectively demonstrative and i and i love her little add-on you know oh baby what baby? This woman's never been pregnant. And I was like, huh, <sighs> detectives might fi- fact check what the the dude that the lady was trying to kill tells them about the cre- like this is this is mind boggling. Like investigators who investigate. And it was all inspired by this amazing ME. It was pretty great. Yeah. yeah. But again, they should have gone back and said, Hey Van Buren, she never had a baby, so he didn't kill a baby. So <laughs> right. can we go back to homicide now? <laughs> Let's take a look at our Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, it's 
that guy. Uh, just a note, uh, we have a return appearance by Zach Grenier. There are times when I love this job. 31 blood samples, all HIV negative. We saw him playing Lemish in the Sonata for a Solo Organ episode, and you will remember him from The Good Wife and Fight Club. Also, Joan Copeland, who plays Judge Stein, is the sister of playwright Arthur Miller. Which lady judge is she? Because there's three judges in this episode, and they are all freaking awesome. She was the one who is Arthur Miller's sister. Um, <laughs> so, moving is she on. the Dear Abby one oh. or the other lady judge? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Are we really going to hold up the podcast so you can figure out which fucking cameo judge? <laughs> the judges were very important in this episode, Kevin. They were not. Yes, okay. They were. Yes. Uh, tell us about the actor who played Dr. Jordan Dilbert. Okay. So this is David Margulies. Yes. The women who come to me want to get pregnant. I'm the last resort. I know everything about them. He was super creepy, and he has really small hands that were really freaking me out this whole episode. He 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 completely embodies creepy doctor. He did it really well. But he also was, he appeared on The Good Wife. But he was the mayor in the original Ghostbusters. Lenny, mm. who saved the lives of millions of registered voters. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, five Law & Order appearances. He passed away in 2016. I remember him best for his role as Marvin Schlotzman, Freudian dentist. Huh. I just hate the way he says the word. I'm just making that up. uh, I saw that on the internet. I hate the way he says the word pregnant. (laughs) Oh, my God. When a woman's pregnant, I know everything about a woman when she wants to get pregnant. (laughs) Well, God doesn't make babies, Rebecca. I do. (laughs) (laughs) well can you tell me who is playing his lawyer michael aronson yes except no but what i do know about (laughs) that guy is that he has appeared on literally every single television show that has ever aired in the history of television yeah Hmm. that's uh mark Mark bloom Bloom. grand jury 23 blind men following the pied piper out of hamlin uh seven law and order universe appearances (laughs) he had rosanna arquette on recently as our special guest star in an episode he played her husband okay. in Desperately Seeking Susan. Got it. And I only knew his name was Mark Bloom because in this era of Law and Order, mm-hmm. they put the special guest stars in the credits in the opening <laughs> thing. And the first one I wrote down was Mark Bloom. So I'm like, that must be one of the Hey, It's That Guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to go. You're catching on four years on. into this podcast. Catching on. So more recently, he's been playing Union Bob in Prime's Mozart in the Jungle. And he's on Rebecca's favorite show. Succession. Oh. He played Bill, the retiring head of the Waystar Adventure Parks Division, who oh, knew Bill. all the secrets. Yes. We were going to throw him under the bus. Yes. And he was also on The Good Wife with with all these other actors, Zach Rennier, David Margulies, and Chris Noth. Is David Margulies uh, related to Julianne Margulies? No. No. He is mm-hmm. not. Are you sure? You just say that to get I looked that up first, on. Rebecca. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, Jill Hennessy also guested on The Good Wife. Mm. My God. Yep. <laughs> I know. I, I should just start every episode looking up The Good Wife and see you know, if they're Kevin, we should admit, we've never seen The Good Wife, and we do have a little bit of like personal beef with The Good Wife. We do? Yes, oh. because our good friends that we used to watch Game of Thrones with every Sunday night, <laughs> and one night we went over there, we're all psyched to watch Game of Thrones. We had a drink, and we were playing cards beforehand, so we went down to watch it like a half an hour after the show started, and they had accidentally taped The Good Wife oh, no. instead <laughs> of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> so we have personal beef 
with yeah. that show, even though we've never seen a minute of it. Yeah. <laughs> I understand there are fewer dragons and less incest than that. Correct. Game of Thrones. <laughs> so can you tell me who's playing Clara Brock? One of the uh, parents in this uh, insemination scandal. She the redhead with the has to go to mommy and me one? Yeah. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> my egg was fertilized with my husband's sperm outside of my uterus. The rest of the process was perfectly normal. Especially it's 12.30. We can't be late for mommy and me. <laughs> That's Kristen Griffith. She had a huge debut as the lead in Woody Allen's 1978 Interiors. Hmm. Her co-stars were Diane Keaton, Mary Beth Hurt, E.G. Marshall, and up-and-comer Sam Waterston. Huh. Poor Claire Brock, man. Just how far she's fallen. (laughs) Kristen Griffith. Yeah. yeah. Um, Seven Law & Order appearances. Uh, She's playing Tom's mother in Succession. (gasps) And she played Joan's mother-in-law in Mad Men. Wow. Did you recognize that actress playing Too Busy to Talk to You, medical examiner, Heather Coyle? No, but I loved her. I didn't recognize her, but I also loved her. Yes. Preliminary examination revealed recent contusions. Consistent with a beating. That's right. Now, if you don't mind. That's Allison Reed. She played Cassie in the movie A Chorus Line. Really? Or as you would call her, Purple Leotard. Uh, you'll remember that she sang What I Did for Love. That's right. And yes, she makes the cut at the end. Yeah, because she slept with the director, but whatever. <laughs> Progress. Um, did you recognize the woman selling the dresses in the boutique? No, but I loved her too. I'm 42 years old. What the hell? Selling expensive dresses is plenty fulfilling. You didn't recognize her, but millions did. That's Deborah Trinelli. She played Phyllis Wapner. Bobby Ewing's faithful secretary <gasps> for 144 episodes of Dallas. Dallas, wow. America fucking loved that cameo. Wow. Wow. That is deep. It's a deep cut. Yeah. People go, hey, it's that girl. <laughs> <laughs> Did she shoot JR? Um, how about the family court judge? Where have we seen him? In a lot of things. You have seen him in a lot of yes, things. Yes, yes. I've seen him in other things. I know I have. You looked familiar. Yeah, that's the whole point of this bit. Is you've seen him? I don't know. I'm shutting you off. I'm shutting your microphone off. He's a very he's a very distinctive freckly face. Kelly, have you seen this this actor anywhere? No, I don't remember him. No. Okay, that's Stephen McKinley Henderson, bit player, but more recently has had substantial screen time in Lady Bird and as Denzel Washington's best friend in the Oscar-winning movie Fences. Wow. I order you to undergo a paternity test within the next two weeks. Big time. He was a nominee. For Best Supporting Actor Mm. in the AARP Movies for Grown-Up Awards. (laughs) Okay, Boomer. (laughs) We meet Dr. Delbert, and (laughs) a little more on that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, uh, super smarmy. Uh, Kelly, what was your take on this character? Uh, I wanted to punch him. I I now call him Dr. Patriarchy, but, but... You know, she comes in with a miscarriage and he goes, oh, well, you know, she was really upset. So we just skipped the exam. Like, what the fuck? I mean, I'm sorry. What the hell? I mean, oh, my God. I love how Kelly thinks she can't fucking swear on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I didn't ask about the language first. I should have asked you before we started. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally slappable. And the only saving grace of Briscoe and Logan in this whole episode is that they also find him completely slappable. Immediately. Nuns in my school were less sanctimonious than that guy. Uh, your nuns never went to medical school. 
you know, those MD plates get you a better parking spot in heaven. Hey. Now, there are some parts of this episode that just don't age well. <laughs> you think? Uh, <laughs> Logan yeah. thinks, as a homicide detective, they shouldn't be spending their time figuring out if Mr. Parker had something to do with the miscarriage. With the fetus less than three months old, even if Parker beat his wife to a pulp, he didn't commit a murder. So let's get back to our real jobs. Hey, Van Buren wants us to check it out for spousal abuse. Think of it like a vacation. Think of it as a vacation. <laughs> this is why they needed to create an elite squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thoughts, ladies? <laughs> that was a pause the TV while you write furiously and I just take a giant sip of my gin and tonic moment while watching this episode. I just want to re- remind everybody, this is everybody's favorite detective team. Everyone says Logan and Briscoe. And then they're interviewing all these women about how unfulfilling their lives are because they had a miscarriage and can't have a baby. <laughs> yeah, classy. <laughs> it was always time for kids later. When Mr. Wright comes along? Mr. Wright's wherever you happen to end up with when you run out of gas. Mine's an investment banker. All I had to do was give him a son. Problem is, it's not as easy as they taught us in sex ed. <laughs> yeah, the male writers yep. at Law & Order yep. said, let's, write, let's get together. And, oh, it's, it's okay, I like selling dresses. <laughs> I guess this is fulfilling enough. Fulfilling enough. Selling fancy dresses to rich ladies. Oh, but there is this one moment where you think, yeah, Logan is a feminist. Yes. You know, if I didn't already know you don't have kids, I'd know you don't have kids. I'm just saying, Lenny, women are allowed to have other priorities. It's a long way from the 50s. And then. <laughs> I mean, I had hope. Yeah, I had, you had hope. hope. I think that he's going to be the woke one in this episode. Right. But. They go to talk to this lesbian couple <laughs> having a baby. Yeah. And they leave. And he said. Brother. I thought I had a bad being brought up by two alcoholics. I wonder which mommy's going to teach him to smoke and drink. And shave. <laughs> well, it's the 90s. Everybody's allowed to be gross and disgusting, not just you. <laughs> well, all I know is I had one mommy and she did enough ball breaking for one lifetime. I thought I had it bad being brought up by two alcoholics. And I was like, God, I miss Ed Green. Like, really? Yeah. Really? I don't know yeah. this, this Logan guy, but... I wonder which mommy's going to teach him to smoke and drink. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it's been 25 years. At least we've come a long, long way in homophobia in our culture. Yay. Oh, my God. And that baby's grown up and has a very successful podcast now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I Let me just say this. This was after, you know, the whole stopping and taking a drink when he said the vacation thing. Mm-hmm. I paused the TV again while you wrote various notes and I wrote one note. This is the worst scene I have ever seen on this show. And that is saying a lot. (laughs) (laughs) They're like talking after going to visit the, by the way, kind of adorable and weird and quirky lesbian couple. was lovely, lovely scene. All we know is he doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. No criminal record. And he's a Roman Catholic. Don't forget, he's got Betty Davis eyes. (laughs) You think, oh man, this show is really like going to a place. In they're the derpy. 90s. Yeah, they're derpy. They're derpy lesbian, de- My lesbian couple. going to have Betty oh. Davis eyes. I wrote in my notes, I was like, yay, lesbians. And then I was like, damn it. Yeah, yeah they ruined it. It was so sad. And and then, you know, Logan is like, oh, yeah. And and a woman, woman can't, can't be elected like president because once a month she might freak and push the button. And I was like, you know, that really hasn't aged well right now. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> she might try to give us health care. Oh. oh, dear God. <laughs> Chapter one. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, 
scrambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. All right, now let's take a look at the second half. Kincaid says the sperm donor records are inadmissible because the warrant was limited to the patient's names. The judge will allow the DA to look into Dr. Delbert's financial records <laughs> so long as there's a Chinese wall between her and the rest of the office. So, of course, she immediately goes to tell everybody what's happening. <laughs> Chinese wall, and he actually bought it. As long as I sign my life away... I tell anyone anything that I know, I'm on the express train to the disciplinary committee. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. So who do we send on this wild goose chase? Well, I don't remember seeing any vacation memos with your name on it. Miss Kincaid goes out on a limb, puts her career on the line. Must be comforting to her to know that she's got 90% of your support. <laughs> McCoy is having a hard time getting parents like the Brocks to cooperate and establish Delbert's paternity. He learns that in the past year, the doctor stopped using a lab to screen sperm donors for HIV. Mm. So scaring all the parents, McCoy weasels blood tests for many of the babies. Well, they don't have AIDS, but most of them have a rare gene for cystic fibrosis. Now he understands why the doctor didn't need to conduct the screenings, because all the baby batter was his. <laughs> <laughs> Any episode where you're going to say baby batter yeah. is a winner, oh Kevin. <laughs> now, McCoy wants a blood sample from Delbert, so he, <laughs> so with no complaining witnesses, the judge refuses. So the state files a civil suit on behalf of the baby to determine paternity. Delbert admits that he is the donor, but says it's no crime. Well, that is not going to stop McCoy. The Brocks thought that Delbert was going to be using the husband's sperm, so... That's a breach of contract. Despite their best efforts, they still can't get the Brocks to cooperate. That's when he and Kincaid learned that the Brocks had an older daughter who died of leukemia. They conceived their son for the sole purpose of being a bone marrow donor. Now they want to go after Delbert for murder, too, because he knew substituting his own sperm would make the match less likely. But with no one willing to testify against him, the doctor walks out the door unpunished. Mm. Well, I don't like to go deep into technical issues that you can't convey in the podcast. Oh my God. But <laughs> there is something really important. If you listen, whenever any of the actors mention the doctor, they've dubbed over his name. Yes. It's possible that Delbert is an SOB. We know we have to stop Dr. Delbert. My friend Clara Brock told me about Dr. Delbert. We need someone to testify that Delbert lied. And what led you to conclude that Dr. Delbert was the father of Baby Doe? Dr. Delbert really did use his own sperm. Are you sure Delbert told your wife she was pregnant? Further investigation of Dr. Delbert's finances. Oh, thank you, Dr. Delbert. And now this is a skill between actor and editor to match speed and tone to get it just right. And they don't do a bad job overall with one exception. Well, the louder the biological clock ticks, the richer Dr. Delbert gets. <laughs> Chris Noth was like, I've got eight more weeks on this fucking show. I don't give a shit. Here's how I sound. Didn't Dr. Delbert tell his patients he only used each donor four times? 
Blah, 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 Dr. Dobert. Do- right, 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 right. Yeah. Doct- Which is why I've been referring to him as Dr. Dobert. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. Delbert is pregnant. It was so, the overdubbing was so obvious. And I thought I noticed it a couple times earlier in the episode. Until that Chris Noth And then that Chris Noth scene. And then we went back and watched all of the mentions of him again. And it's like, you can't unsee it. And it completely takes you I mean, you, you can't unhear it. You can't unhear it or see it because it doesn't match their lips. And they do try to do all these clever things where sometimes the person who's saying Delbert isn't facing the camera. Because yeah. obviously I couldn't get to match up. Kevin, why did they do that? I know the story. Oh, can't wait. Well, I know part of the story. The story is that the show in 1995 aired, and the character's name was Dr. Gilbert. Mm. And then I guess somebody's lawyer sent a letter, and something happened. And so in reruns, they changed it to Delbert. The, the problem why it doesn't quite match is when you say Gilbert, you're pulling down your bottom lip. Right. When you say Delbert, you're pulling up your upper lip. Right. So it doesn't quite go, and then even if you can match the audio perfectly, which is hard because you've got the actors on... New microphones at a new distance, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe sometimes they're not the same actors. You never know. I actually did not think that was Chris Noth reading that guy's name. (laughs) That's my opinion. So, I mean, (laughs) this change was made for reruns. Right. And, I mean, I don't know, Noth might have been off the show when that started to happen. He might have come back. I don't know. I can't say it's him. I can't say it's not. But everybody got the order to change it, except the person doing the closed captioning. Yes. So if you watch the show and you put the closed captioning on, it still says Gilbert. Hmm. Yep. God, that real life fertility doctor named Gilbert must have been pissed, huh? I I started looking up different <laughs> urologists named Gilbert. I don't know if they had that kind of juice, but somebody was not happy. So anyway, that Chinese wall thing, that was never going to fucking work, right? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, we should explain to our listeners, Chinese wall is a legal term that is used in the legal community to create uh, barriers between potential conflicts of interest or during investigation. That wall has existed for thousands of years. It's it may, not a new it thing. It yeah. probably has some sort of um, inappropri- appropriation or other racist like origins, but that is what it's called. It was not just made up for this episode. However, it is actually supposed to exist, and it's not supposed to be like, hey, Kevin, I'm going to tell you the thing you're not supposed to know so you can go and find it yourself. <laughs> like, that's not how it's supposed to work, as far as I know. Right. I'm not a lawyer, but that doesn't seem right. I, it seems like if they ever got around to arresting Dr. Gilbert, that <laughs> he would have so many appealable things because these these prosecutors just lied and lied and lied. Yeah, and, and none of the witnesses would cooperate, and the lawyers kind of lied to the judges, and the judges kind of looked the other way, and you're watching this whole thing, and I'm like... Oh, my God. Like, how much trauma are they going to add in to this? And then you kind of forget about the woman that died at the beginning. <laughs> oh, sorry, and then at the beginning, Mr. Parker inspired, like, one of my new favorite games that I want to play. It's this new fill-in-the-blank game. He says, If I'd known she'd react this way, I never would have. Dot, dot, dot. And so, like, I think that would be a super fun drinking game, you know? If I <laughs> if I had known she was going to react like that, I never would have... Jerked off into a cup? Yeah. <laughs> I think we can have fun with that. <laughs> Moved into a hotel? Yeah. <laughs> Taking a hike? I got glass windows on my office? <laughs> Hired that ex-cop to be a security guard at my bank. <laughs> oh, man. So I just want to reiterate, I do love every single judge in this episode. I love yes. all of them. Yes. I love the Dear Abby judge. 
who initially was like, I'll only give you the thing so that you can look up, uh, you know, potential miscarriages or whatever mm-hmm. patient names. I love Drunk Judge. Drunk I love when he yeah. goes, I've seen Deliverance, Claire. <laughs> 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 oh, I loved Claire. So, you, you know, like Abby Carmichael is the prosecutor of my heart. But I really enjoyed Claire. And I just want to have a moment of appreciation for her scrunchies. Because those scrunchies were amazing. Mm-hmm. She's full on mid-90s shoulder pad mode. Yes. It was so great. It's so, yeah, her face is so perfect. It's rare. I mean, and I'm not saying this is like completely uncommon, but it is relatively rare for someone to look better with all of their hair scraped off their face because their mm-hmm. face is so great. She is one of those people. Like the hair actually takes away mm-hmm. from her like extreme beauty. So whenever her hair's back, scrunchy, barrette, doesn't matter. I'm like, that is my Claire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, each of the each of the assistant prosecutors have sort of had their distinctive traits. Abby Carmichael, sort of the sassy one. Kincaid is the smart one. Mm-hmm. Sutherland's the fake lesbian, but we've already, <laughs> already touched on that. Is this because I'm a lesbian? Kincaid is also the dinner companion of Jack McCoy. Yeah. Of the fancy restaurant. So yeah. do you know this extra contextual thing, uh, Kelly, about the They're two of them? They're fucking, Kelly. They're fucking. No. Are they really? Oh, no, I did not know that. And I'll... Uh, and he stuck her with the tab. Thank God. Uh, I'll buy the champagne. You'll buy the whole dinner. And 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 he's kind of rude to her. And like, no, I was really hoping she was gay. That makes me sad. <laughs> no, 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 and no. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I think the whole thing of stick her, him sticking her with the tab, that stuff. Like to me, that nods more to yes, they're having a relationship because co-workers going to dinner like the boss would pay because they would right. just be expensing mm-hmm. it right or they'd right. go dutch but once you know that that they, they claire, were speaking together, of speaking of throat yogurt claire ew. let's oh, go back to my oh. place now but you literally can never see these episodes the same way again when you know right. these are their stories y'all yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are your stories can we talk about another workplace dynamic going on in this office yeah sure does Schiff even like want to be at work ever oh <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> he's reading uh. the paper he's so uninterested in everything They have to say that even when he says something profound, you know, even when he's like giving them the answer, telling them what to do, he's just like. (sighs) That's that's his thing. He's put off by every goddamn thing that happens around him. Yeah. (sighs) I was very, very disappointed in him for calling Kincaid young lady. Like um, my punching arm was getting real twitchy and I'm like, chef, like, dude, Really? Really? Oh, he's part of that generation. Uh, And then he said, like a douche. No wonder their lips were sealed. They want their son to discover one day they only bought him for the parts. Exactly. Uh, Uh, (laughs) That's just great. That's another line he has in the show. He's like, oh, that's just great. (laughs) (laughs) I I just really wanted him one time to just say, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) So we get an ambiguous ending. We've got Dr. Delbert. Uh, He gets to make his big asshole speech at the end. These women come to me barren, starved for the feeling of life growing inside their bodies. Their husbands can't give it to them, neither can their lovers. Just me. I'm sure your children are not what they bargained for. I think you'd be surprised. I think you flatter yourself. I create something where nothing was before. God doesn't make babies, Mr. McCoy. I do. Well, fuck off, doctor. I made a baby. <laughs> Rebecca, you made two babies. You know? 
Oh, God. The <laughs> well, family, a whole, like, I will say before this the whole family court thing, too. First of all, on TV, they always make family court look like podunk and cute compared to real court. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. about you, but anytime I've ever, like, attended a civil matter, it's also just been, like, in a regular courtroom. It's yeah. not like, you know. Anyway, uh, but the whole thing with that whole construct where they're trying to, like, drag him in in this family court matter and they appoint Claire to be a guardian ad litem on behalf of a baby who does not need help and whose parents didn't ask for help in any way. I had a lot of questions, a lot of questions. Yeah. But there was one other thing I had questions about because the judge told them explicitly, you can talk to anybody, talk to the press if you want. Didn't you think that what they were then going to do is go out to the media and say this fertility doctor may have been using his own sperm to make babies and then all these women would come forward. That's where I thought it was going. But they kept leaning on this one freaking couple like they were the only ones who could do yeah, it. That's what I thought, too. Well, in a way, they were because that's the the breach of contract. OK, thing. it should have been the husband's sperm. But it was Dobert. It was Dobert. <laughs> and, and they had him in family court. And I was like, could they at least sue him for like 25 cases of child support or something yes because yeah and and i didn't know like they kept saying well he hasn't done anything illegal and i'm like lying to your patients when telling them they're pregnant when they're not is not illegal or (laughs) you know like dipping into your own sperm bank during company hours isn't illegal like i had no idea and then i was just thinking this is crazy like the laws i guess hadn't caught up to the technology but damn And this is not the way we usually lose one on Law & Order. Yeah. We might be able to convince a jury. And be reversed on appeal. So we drop it? For now. Do you think we'll ever find someone who'll testify against him? Jesus had his Judas. And he's not Jesus. You lose in court... But very rarely does the guy just sort of walk out. And, right. You know, we can never do anything. Not without that. getting shot in the courthouse steps, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if it's a sperm bank, you know the way he's going to get shot. Uh, well, I had never no seen. Mix. I'd never seen a Law and Order where they lose. And I was like, wait, I, did they run out of time? Like, it, he walked <laughs> out and the credits came up and I was going, what the hell? Like, wait, wait. Let's look at the real have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode tracks closely with the case of Dr. Cecil Jacobson. 
In the 1960s, he became the first American researcher to perform amniocentesis and later became the leader in the field of infertility, despite no formal training in the field. In the 1980s, Jacobson ran a fertility clinic in Virginia, specialising in women with difficult cases. While some of his patients did conceive, others were merely tricked into thinking they had. The doctor prescribed large doses of HCG. It's a hormone produced naturally during pregnancy. The doctor told many patients they were pregnant and showed them a grainy ultrasound of what he said was their baby. But their tests were actually false positives caused by the HCG. Jacobson would later tell the women they had miscarried and begin the expensive treatments all over again. After suspicious patients sued, the feds charged him with perjury in the civil case. That's when investigators learned the clinic's sperm donor program didn't exist and that Jacobson was the likely father of 75 children. Oh my God. He was sentenced to five years for mail and wire fraud. He surrendered his medical license but otherwise faced no consequences for inseminating his patients with his own sperm. Wow. Damn. So experts say that when Jacobson was pointing on an ultrasound, what he was actually pointing to was fecal matter. Oh. So can somebody insert the proper joke here, please? Hmm. That baby's a real piece of shit. (laughs) Okay, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So this was his defense. Some of the women were pregnant. He thought the HCG dose was too low to create a false positive. He may have misread the ultrasounds. And that he used his own gentleman's relish (laughs) when a donor failed to show up and the patient's window was closing. Mm. So he didn't do it. Uh, (laughs) He did do it. He did do it. But he had to surrender his medical license, which is a thing they never talked about happening to Dr. Dolbert in this episode. They never talked about the medical board consequences of his actions at all. No, they didn't. You would think they ran they out of time. Would have. <laughs> yeah. You think, Clearly. You would think that would have been something they hung over his head at some point, you know? Hey, sometimes you got to take the L. <laughs> Just got to take the L, McCoy. You know, the interesting thing that this episode brings up is that, you know, Dr. Delbert's uh, many offspring, like most of them live on the Upper West Side. They're going to be attending the same schools. They're sort of implying that they could be like creating an incest cluster here. Right? I've yes. seen Deliverance, Rebecca. Yeah. 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 Although... I don't know anyone who's married to someone they went to kindergarten with, but whatever. Um, did that happen in this case? Was there a fear about there being like an incest cluster of some kind? Do you know? I'm sure there was that concern. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all the parents, when you know, all the kids got to high school and the prom dates were coming on, they want to say, who are, who are their parents? Think about how much situations like this are fucking with 23andMe results, like around the world. Oh, my God. Oh. When they, when you, when they create well, those Virginia, like, yeah. genetic genealogy family trees and it's like like laser beam back to one dude. (laughs) Now, as far as the couple uh, where he substituted himself for the husband, he says it was a, his defense was it was a cross-contamination in the lab. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, really, how much chode nectar do you have to have all over the table that you would mix it up? I think you they really missed an opportunity in calling this episode seed when they could have called it chode nectar, Kevin. <laughs> they really missed out. Or man relish, what was the other one? Gentleman's relish. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, real question. If your selection is an anonymous donor and their identity is not really a concern of yours going in, why would it be wrong that the donor is your doctor? 
Kelly, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Why is it wrong? Um, well, okay. So on many levels, you have serious ethical violations there because the assumption of the patient would be that this is someone who chose to be a sperm donor, who went through screening, who was you know only used a certain number of times and had been objectively mm-hmm. evaluated by a doctor. And I don't think you can objectively evaluate your own sperm because you probably think it's awesome. Um, yeah, I know I do. Yeah, and it's inherently dishonest. So, you know, that's kind of the first rule, I would think, that that would just be absolutely wrong. But it would not be those patients' understanding of what was going on. You know, like clearly not what was presented to them. And also it's just gross. (laughs) Rebecca, what do you think? Well, remember the SVU episode, the famous one where uh, Uncle Jesse is the like uh, reproductive coercion. Exactly. He's like 10 million babies. He's hot, right? So if he was your urologist, yeah. If it were Doug Ross from ER, George Clooney, different story. This guy, no fucking way yeah, do I want to have his If you baby. saw Dr. Jacobson's photo, yeah, you'd be. You think I want to have a baby that when he grows up and talks, says the word pregnant, he goes, pregnant. <laughs> no, 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 no. So yes, all the ethical stuff, but also not an attractive baby. Not one I want to have, you know? Now, they should have known that this guy was full of shit because, again, true story, in the 1960s, and he never offered any scientific proof of this, he said he destroyed all of the... The evidence there, but he claims to have impregnated a male baboon. <laughs> okay. So it's true. This guy's trouser gravy has been everywhere. <laughs> wow. That is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Kelly Jones. Kelly, where can our listeners follow you online? I am on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones, and our podcasts are at Chipperish Media. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me, of course, on Crime Writers On, and on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod, or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com for our newsletter and a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, Hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.